Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Can Manage That, a podcast for first-time managers who want to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Chris Asper, and if you're a first-time manager who wants to become a stronger ally at work, then you need to listen to this episode. I'm pleased to introduce Lisa M. Ong, an award-winning diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy consultant, executive coach, and president and founder of Wishing Out Loud. She is known as a thought leader and inclusion connector who invests in trusting meaningful relationships to cultivate cultures of DEI plus and belonging for all. As a CPA, she looks to data with discernment in designing approaches that grow inclusive leadership skills to unleash DEI's ROI by focusing on relationships, outcomes, and impact. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's a it's an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. You are my first guest that has DEI experience, and I can't wait to talk about that. Well, thank you. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. For the longest time, it was just diversity and inclusion, and I'm really excited to see that we're adding the equity lens and that belonging is really trending, because even if you don't understand what diversity, equity, and inclusion means... We all know what it feels like not to belong. And we don't perform at our best when we don't belong. So I find I'm very fortunate to have a job where I'm looking for the lost, the lonely, and the stuck. How do we make them feel like they're included so they feel heard, they feel valued, and they can do their best work? And I stumbled across that because it wasn't a career when I started my career many years ago. There was no such thing as a DEI consultant or strategist. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us about that journey. How did you end up what you're doing today? Well, I'm the oldest of three daughters in a traditional Chinese-American family. My father was an accountant, and so he said, I need you to make enough money to take care of me when I'm old. <laughs> Traditionally, they would probably suggest that we be doctors, lawyers, or engineers. But since he was an accountant, that's the path that I took. And if you go into accounting, it tends to be a very linear career path. I went into, back then it was the big four public accounting firms. They do audit, tax, and consulting for global companies. And that's typically a straight ladder career path. You put in the hard work and get promoted to partner. And as a person who's gravitated towards planning and processes, I thought, oh, that's a great career path. And then 10 years in, I realized I was good at it, but I was going through the motions. Mm. And one of the partners said to me, okay, are you ready to get ready for your partner track? And I was like, ooh. It's like, I love what I'm doing now, but I look at what you're doing and maybe not so much. And then I had an opportunity, and this is where I started to discover in my career. If you focus on your strengths and you say, if I could live my strengths every day, it wouldn't feel like a job. And I was fortunate at that time in my career to have an executive coach. And she said, let's discover your strengths and let's anchor on those. And one of the things we noticed was that I was fascinated by the intersection of people, processes, and policies, right? Because I was an auditor. An auditor goes in and learns the business. We learn the controls. We learn how it, makes, how it works. But the part that really excited me the most was getting to know the people and building the audit teams and training and developing new people. So I wished out loud to my partner coach at the time, and I said, I love working here, but I wish I could work more with people than with process and controls. And he said, well, we have a HR leader that's out on leave. Would you like to take a tour of duty and fill in for her while she's out? I've always been curious, and I'm like, okay, I'm not trained in HR. Are you sure I could do that? And he said, we've observed you, and you're really great with our interns. 
nobody else wants to take interns on their audit teams, but you're able to take 10 of them at a time and inspire them and develop them and make them want to work harder and stretch further than others. Maybe you do have an app for working with people. Why don't you try HR for a little while while she's on leave and then decide from there. And that opened a whole new career path for me. So I started working in HR full time, working with the audit teams. So I still worked with the same people. I was just in a different role and focusing on what I liked. So I've learned if I invest in relationships and strategically wish out loud to say, I really love this. I wish I could do more of it. People remember. So when I was in HR, I started getting bored because I like problem solving and connecting with people. And I said, how can I do something different? And I found at night, I was planning all these special events for the employees to gather and connect. This was before there was such a thing as employee resource groups. I was organizing the working moms. I was gathering the minorities together for small meetups because there were so few of us back then. And then when they asked me, Lisa, we're thinking of launching the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Would you like to be our third diversity leader? It's like, what the heck is a diversity leader? That sounds like flavor of the month. Are you sure? As an auditor, I'm very skeptical. Like, I don't know. I've been here for 10 years. Do I really want to pivot into a job that sounds like flavor of the month? And they said, why don't you give it a try? Because the good news about this is there's no one that's been in this role before. You would be the first and it gives you an opportunity to carve the path the way you'd like to see it. So let me be clear. What's the expectation? The expectation is that you create a culture of belonging where everyone feels included. And I said, I'm in. And they said, wow, that was quick. And I said, no, you don't understand. My father's job had us moving quite a lot. Every, almost every other year when I was growing up, I was always the new kid. I was always the only one. As Chinese American, sometimes I was the only person of color. We grew up in the Midwest. And when you're the new kid, you know what it feels like to be the new kid. And so I feel like that's my super strength. And I'm like, now my job is to make sure that everyone that feels like the new kid at work has a buddy and has someone to go to. I like to describe what I do as a talent gardener and as an inclusion connector. And they say, what is that? And I said, well, talent gardeners are people that help individuals thrive where they're planted. Recruiters bring the talent in and the talent gardeners are the ones who coach and develop the individuals once they get here. And they said, well, what's an inclusion connector? I said an inclusion connector is listening to each individual to make sure they feel heard and valued and included and then saying how can I connect them beyond their immediate team, beyond their circles within the organization, to the greater community, but more importantly to their purpose. Because if you can tie someone to their individual sense of purpose, that loyalty and that extra motivation is, is really powerful when you unleash it. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing. So I want to talk about your expertise with regards to DEI and would love to spend the rest of the interview talking about this. You know, you've done some work with companies and I'm just curious from your perspective, what can companies do to improve their DEI initiatives? I've been very excited to see how companies are working on diversity, equity, inclusion as part of their core values. A lot of companies have defined their purpose and mission, and they have core values that define how they expect people to behave at work. And more and more companies either say inclusivity or they say inclusive leadership. They define great leadership as inclusive leaders. Um, There's a strong business case for that. Lots of studies that show if you create a diverse and inclusive culture, especially those that are focused on strong sense of belonging that's anchored on the employee experience, 
you're more likely to hit your financial targets, have increased productivity, and lower turnover. So it has a bottom line impact. So companies that need to improve their DEI initiatives and move forward faster embed it in everything they do. It's a daily habit. Some of the mistakes I've seen other companies do is they try to follow a cookie cutter recipe and say, oh, we're focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. We're going to launch a bunch of employee resource groups. And I always ask them to pause and listen first to their employees before they jump into a recipe that their company may not be ready to actually cook. Mm. I warn people, I said, just because you have a recipe doesn't mean your cake is going to taste great. You have to make sure your oven is calibrated and you have the right ingredients and the right cooks. And so when I see companies rush out to launch a bunch of employee resource groups, I always caution them to be careful because if you're solving for inclusion, the worst thing you can do is make people feel excluded when you start forming groups. I remember they launched a women's inclusion network and then they launched a minority employees network. And then I felt burdened as an employee. I got to join two groups. (laughs) And my job. And I still have my job. And is this extra work that I'm going to be paid for? So when I ask companies, if you're going to launch networks or employee resource groups or ideally business resource groups, because then there is a business case for the groups to meet, think about the intersection of our identities how can you include everyone? I love the saying, you don't have to be to be along. So in the inclusion networks, are you inviting not just individuals of that particular affinity group, but those who want to be learners, supporters, and allies? There's nothing worse than someone showing up saying, I'm here because I'm an ally. I'm a hero to save the day. That's not helpful if someone doesn't want to be saved. But they love to welcome people who want to learn, who want to support who want to become better advocates. That was a lesson learned for me. Someone said, Lisa, you're not an ally until we tell you you're an ally because allyship is a journey and you constantly have to consistently show up, stand up and speak up for us. And because our needs continue to evolve, we need you to be with us alongside of us, not jumping ahead to be the superhero. That was such great advice because we learn from one another's stories. So if we can invite others in to listen to the stories, Mm -hmm. they may hear stories that they wouldn't normally hear. For example, I will go to a lot of these large conventions like the Ascend Leadership Convention for Pan-Asian Professionals. Mm -hmm. And I like to bring non-Pan-Asian professionals with me so they can experience what it feels like to be the only one. They're like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand how you're feeling like the only one in the organization. If you've never been the only one, it's hard for you to be empathetic. You were mentioning, you know, being the only one. And I think that relates back to your experience of moving every so often and being the only one. And I think empathy comes from this idea of we want to be able to relate to that person's experience. So how can we relate to that experience if we've never been the only one before? Everyone has an only one story. It's not just based on only one from a visible dimension of diversity right? Not just the only female, not just the only person of color. You may be the only introvert on a team. You may be the only one from your school. You may be the only one without a college degree on your team, right? There's a lot of different dimensions of diversity that are not just obvious ones. So I I always challenge people to think about what is your only one story? And if you don't have one, you probably know one for someone in your family. Maybe there's someone in your family that's the only left-handed person or the only person with hearing loss. Mm -hmm. If you can at least think of their experience, it helps you be more inclusive. 
I had one Girl Scout on my Girl Scout troop years ago that was left-handed, and that has always stuck with me. To be inclusive, always include left-handed scissors so that all the girls can participate. Interesting. A lot of the articles are out there that approach DEI from an organizational initiative, but there's yet to be articles that bring it down to the direct manager level. In your opinion, what responsibility does a direct manager have when it comes to DEI? I'm glad you asked, Chris, because that is everything. Managers are the glue that holds everything together. They're the ones who directly create the environment of belonging for their direct reports. I had a wise partner who told me, Lisa, as you move up in an organization, your corner of the world gets bigger. Sometimes things can feel overwhelming in DEI. And he always said, focus on your corner of the world. So as a manager, how can you create diversity, equity, inclusion for your direct reports and those you interact with? And so they don't necessarily even need to have an office of diversity or diversity programs to start leading from a culture of belonging, using their coaching skills, giving and getting feedback. Most importantly, just listening. I like to to ask the managers, is there someone on your team that's being underutilized? And they said, what do you mean? How would I know? I said, have you asked them? Oh, interesting. I don't know if I would ask. And I said, why? I don't ask them how they're feeling. I said, tell me more about that. I said, well, I'd rather not know. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> I said, but if you knew and you knew what motivated them, you could give them stretch assignments. That would make your job easier. You would know who to delegate to. You would know their strengths. You would know Chris gets excited about spreadsheets, right? If you can delegate to individuals to do something they love, it makes your job easier. It makes them happier. And I used to be on a softball team and I'm terrible at sports. And they used to just put me in right field because they said no one hits the ball there. <laughs> I'm like, great. I'm part of the team, but I sure don't feel included. <laughs> like yeah. They stuck me in right field because no one's going to hit the ball there. And then when it was my turn to bat, they said, don't swing. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> They said, you're really tiny. Just make your strike zone really small. They'll walk you and then we'll have a hit home run hitter behind you, hit you in. I said, I'm included, but I don't feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. Right. But as a manager, right, they should be looking for all of our strengths, not parking people in the gout. Use your entire team. And yeah. so I ask managers to ask their team members right on their one on ones. Ask, are there super skills and strengths that you're not fully getting to utilize here? That's why I called my company Wishing Out Loud, right? If you could wish to do something more at work, to feel like you're learning and growing, what would that be? What do you need from me to do your best work? I loved when managers asked me that. One of my really smart managers asked me, when you do a great job, how do you want to be rewarded? That goes to the heart of inclusion and belonging. And you've all been on teams where they celebrate at the end of a big team project Unfortunately, I worked on a lot of male dominated teams and the senior manager would say, we're going to rent a box at the baseball stadium. I said, okay, you're activating bad memories of when I was in right field. And I, after spending 70 hour weeks with all of you, the last thing I want to do for my reward is spend my Saturday in a box watching a sport I'm not excited about. And that manager was so smart because he saw the look on my face and he said, Lisa, that doesn't look like it would excite you. Is there something else that would be rewarding for you to celebrate the win of this project? I said, because I've been working so hard with all of you, I would love to just have a wonderful dinner with my family as my reward. He said, fine. He's like, hit my charge code for $200 and take your family out for a fabulous dinner. My family still remembers that to this day. We went to a steakhouse. They ordered lobster. 
my husband ordered wine. They got to order anything they wanted because I'm like, we got $200. Bob said we could charge it to his code. Yeah. That's a memory that was a reward that not only I remember, but my whole family loves Bob now. I think it's because Bob took the time to like really understand you and understand what makes you tick. Right. And it builds trust and recognize that we all have unique needs. And he also recognized I might not have asked for that if he hadn't said, hey, that doesn't look like it's rewarding, exciting for you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. He learned to read the nonverbals, mm -hmm. right? Not just the words that people are saying, but the nonverbals. So a manager needs to listen, needs to get to know their staff, needs to, to watch the nonverbals. You also, in the intro, we also mentioned relationships, outcomes, and impact. Is there anything else that a manager can do to become even better at DEI? I always say start with listening, active listening. Especially now, people are hungry for connection. They're hungry to be listened to. I go into a lot of businesses where they're so transaction-oriented that when you join a meeting, there's a timed agenda, and they crank through that timed agenda like they got it down to the minute. And they leave two minutes at the end of the meeting and then they say, any questions? And I laugh and they say, what's so funny? I said, no one's going to ask questions. You haven't created psychological safety for them to ask questions. There's only two minutes left of the call. Nobody wants to be that person mm -hmm. that makes the call go over time. If you truly wanted them to have safe space to ask questions, you'd leave a lot more time at the end of your call. So I'm always saying relationships, outcomes, and impact. Are you creating the space and the forums to build those relationships across the enterprise, not just on your team? And that's hard in the hybrid environment. And the outcomes, are you channeling your efforts aligned with the business priorities? You're most likely to get a yes if your efforts are driving towards those key performance indicators and the same priorities as the business leaders. When you make your leaders look good, they're always going to say yes. But are you quantifying the impact of your effort? A lot of people confuse fun food and festivals and effort with impact. So when you get to the end of the year and you're doing your annual report or your self-appraisal, I used to see people say, oh, I went to 10 diversity events this year. That's great. That's effort. That's participation. But what was the impact? What did you take away from that? What did you learn? How did you share that learning with others? Are you developing yourself, but more importantly, developing others? And that was another lesson learned for me. They're never going to promote you to the next level if you're so indispensable that that would be like cutting off their right or left hand. So if you're not developing team members to backfill your role, you're never going to get promoted. But if you're seen as a developer of talent where people gravitate to your team because you make them feel included and belonging and they want to give you that extra effort on your team to do their best work, now you get a brand as a developer of talent, and they're going to promote you and give you greater responsibility because they know you're promoting positivity and growth versus those people who we've all seen those managers who are able to drive productivity, but at the expense of others, right? They leave a lot of broken dishes in their wake. They get things done, but a lot of people quit after working with them. What kind of leadership brand do you want to have? I'm curious to know, in your experience, some common mistakes when it comes to inclusion. So if you think about the work that you do, the organizations that you've been in, are there any common mistakes that managers make when it comes to DEI? Inclusive language and behaviors and focusing on those behaviors that would allow them to be better inclusive leaders. So are they not only actively seeking feedback on their inclusive leadership, 
but are they willing to give it? Going back to your accountability piece, a lot of organizations will do a lot of awareness training. They don't convert that awareness training into actions and habits, and then they forget to put the accountability factor on it to make sure that there's peer learning happening. This isn't something that the diversity leader or the board of directors or the CEO top-down can mandate. It's got to be from their peers. Let's practice active listening. Let's practice inclusive leadership in meetings. If you're the manager and you want input on an idea, I've worked on teams like this where the leader says, I have a great idea. I'd love to get your input on it. Then everyone kind of ducks and runs because they're like, oh boy, who wants to tell the boss that their baby's ugly? Right. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants, but they've already led with, I have a great idea. I'd like to get your idea versus saying, I have an idea that's not fully baked. I want to throw it on the table and have you kick it around and I'm going to go last. Right. So I'm not even telling you whether I think it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's not quite baked. And I'd like to hear from everybody what would make it better. What is your concerns? Right. And so it's something we're collaborating on together. That's inclusion because you're inviting all voices and you're not putting your predetermined bias on top of it. The other thing is demonstrating inclusive leadership with inclusive language. When I was little, they used to do that rhyme, right? Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. But words, even though they're small, matter. I'm on calls all the time where I hear people say, hi, guys, hi, guys. And I'm like, uh, hello, I'm here. I'm a female. And they're like, oh, Lisa, don't get so defensive. It's like, but I don't feel included. Can we just say hello, everyone? Hi, team. Hi, friends. Can we use gender neutral language? They'll use words that are just not inclusive. And so I've been trying to get them to evolve. And even though I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion leader, I'm having to research this every week as well to make sure I'm using the latest inclusive language. Someone invited me to a call. They said, hey, will you join our weekly powwow? It's like, no. They said, well, why not? I said, because powwow is very important ceremony to the Indian culture. And it's not something to joke about from a cultural appropriation perspective. If it's your weekly huddle call, I'll be happy to join. They'll be in a meeting and somebody will say, oh, that's so gay or that's so retarded or stop being OCD. And I just cringe, cringe, cringe. Right? And I was like, time out. Let's use more inclusive language if we can. Yeah, because that language has that power to, without people realizing it, that has the, the power to make someone feel uncomfortable. Or marginalized or less than. And smaller things, right? I always ask people, are you using people first language wherever possible? And I said, what do you mean? I said, we don't say homeless people, right? We're labeling them for a temporary condition mm -hmm. versus saying people who are experiencing homelessness. Even cancer patient, a patient is not their diagnosis. It's a patient with cancer. It's just trying to be more inclusive in the way that we speak. And someone said, well, I don't want to be the word police. I said, it's not, but you're demonstrating inclusive leadership. Small things make a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we saying grandfathered versus legacy exception? If you know where some of those phrases come from, you realize, oh, I'm not meaning to exclude people because of voting rights from many years ago. Or you're in a meeting and someone says, well, you know, this is very confusing. It's not black or white. And you're like, when are we putting judgment on colors? So you talk about language and making sure that your, your language is very inclusive. You know, if I'm listening to this podcast, because DEI can feel very overwhelming, where should I begin? If I want to be an ally, where should I begin my journey? I like to ask people not to ask the people that are the onlys to instruct and teach them. Right? Mm. <laughs> Always do your research. 
There's plenty of podcasts out there. There's plenty of books out there. You can read about it. But I find my best learning is getting to know individual stories. Tell me about a time when you're the only one. How did that make you feel? Right? What made you feel included? Tell me about a time where you really felt included here at work. What was the recipe that made that happen? How can I help make more of that happen for you here? Because when you get to know other people's stories, it helps if you lead with your story first. I kind of used to get defensive years ago where people would walk up to me and they'd say, what kind of Asian are you? Or where are you from? I'd say Dallas, Texas. No, no. Where are you really from? Oh, you mean Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas? No, no, no. Where are you really from? Oh, right. You mean third generation Chinese American. And then their second question will be, wow, your English is so great. So someone's always putting that you're other or you're foreign and you start to feel very defensive. Mm. And someone said, well, Lisa, they're just trying to get to know you. I said, I know, but they're not asking where are you really from, from everyone else, who they are and where they're from first. So I think being vulnerable or sharing something about yourself authentically first opens up a safe space for others to share too. It puts people on the defensive if you're being an auditor and interrogating them right away from the front. Mm -hmm. In terms of people wanting to be more in the space, because I'm seeing a lot of job postings go up more so in the last few years, what advice do you have for individuals who wish to pursue more opportunities to work in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, or desire to become a stronger ally at work? You're spot on on your observation, Chris. I get calls every day. Companies are not only hiring chief diversity officers, they're expanding their teams. They need diversity analysts. They need diversity program coordinators. They need individuals to help lead and manage their employee resource groups. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the job descriptions, they're looking for individuals who have direct experience doing that project work, doing that leadership work. So I tell people to work on building their base expertise in DEI to be able to speak to it. There's a lot of resources out there in addition to books and podcasts, right? If you have access to LinkedIn Learning, there's amazing diversity, equity, inclusion learning paths on there. Mm -hmm. You can also follow influencers and follow the DEI hashtags on LinkedIn so that those thought leaders, what they're writing about shows up in your feed every morning. You can also subscribe to free e-newsletters from leading organizations in diversity, equity, inclusion, like CEOaction.com or Catalyst or LeanIn.org. Those free newsletters always have a lot of helpful things. Like we said earlier, immerse yourself in situations where you are the only one, right? Because that helps you to learn from other people's stories. And then build your change management skills because diversity, equity, inclusion is culture change. Mm. And at its heart, if you have change management skills and you understand how adults learn and how people are motivated and how to project manage, and more importantly, build a communication strategy, you can use those skills as transferable skills in DEI. I got into the role because people saw me already doing the role as a volunteer. So it was natural to ask me to apply for the role when the role came up. So I always ask employees, are you volunteering to help your company with their DEI initiatives? They're like, well, what do I know about DEI? I said, volunteer your super skills. Are you great at social media? You can do their social media post. Are you great at photography? You could be the historian and capture all the activities in photos. There's so many things that you can volunteer for and then just learn and grow from that. Take on greater and greater responsibilities. We've talked about a lot of things today. If there's one thing that you want my audience of first-time managers to remember from this episode, what would that be? 
Um, be intentional about managing your moments. Make each moment matter, make each word matter. If you continue to connect and build your sense of community and build that strong network around you where you're constantly learning and growing, it's going to open new opportunities for you. Being open to explore new things, take risks. If we're not learning from our missteps and ouches, we're probably in the comfort zone. I see too many managers also not managing their energy. They manage their schedules, but not their energy. And that's diversity of styles. Some mm -hmm. of us are morning people and some people are in the afternoon. Are you scheduling your time around your energy? But the more you can be seen as a developer of teams, the greater the sense of responsibilities you'll get. And the more that you can get done because you'll delegate to people and more people will volunteer to help you. But you could get easily overwhelmed with all of this. So picking what you care about the most and focusing on that one niche can help you differentiate yourself without getting overwhelmed. If you think of all the challenges of diversity, equity, inclusion in the world, I see a lot of people get burned out. So I say my lane is I focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace. And that helps because you have to be able to say no without saying no to keep those boundaries. Lisa, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with organizations? And if I wanted to find more about you, where can I go? So I help organizations create their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy. I work with a lot of organizations that don't have any in-house diversity, equity, inclusion experts. I also work with them to support their coaching and leadership development for their high potentials and helping them embed their goals. Because my background is a certified public accountant, I help them say, let's look at your diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, and how are you capturing your ROI, relationships, outcomes, and impact, not just your return on investment. So I do a lot of speaking, coaching, and consulting. And the way they can find out more about me is on my website, wishingoutloud.com. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So anyone that direct messaged me on LinkedIn knows they'll hear from me within 24 to 48 hours. It's the best way to reach me. And all of those links are going to be posted in the show notes. You also yep. have Instagram too, right? I, I do. I have an Instagram. Awesome. It's not a pretty Instagram because I do it myself. It's more of a visual scrapbook of what I'm reading and where I'm going. Okay. And then I do post a blog twice a month on my LinkedIn with tips on how to be an inclusive leader or how to support individuals on the allyship journey. I tend to share a lot of free resources and research to help them experience what I'm learning too. And they can sign up for your newsletter on LinkedIn? Yes. Great. So go check out Lisa on her website, wishingoutloud.com. You can also check her out on Instagram at wishingoutloud and on LinkedIn. All those links are going to be in the show notes. Lisa, I really enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot from you. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and sharing your expertise. No, you're welcome. I know people get really scared on this topic and they say, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing, so I'm not going to say anything at all. I would invite them to think that your silence can also be seen as not caring. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what to say, sometimes all you have to say is, I don't think words will be enough, but I care. And that's a start. Thank you for listening to You Can Manage That. For more information about Lisa M. Ong, you can go to her website, wishingoutloud.com. You can also check out her LinkedIn and her Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. I'm Chris Asper. For more information about me, you can go to chrisasper.com. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast player. Join us again next time when we talk with other leaders and experts so you can manage that. Bye for now.